0: So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store, but did you know Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere, online, in store, on social media, and beyond. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash crimes, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash crimes to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash crimes.
1: Good morning, and thanks for joining me for Rise in Crime, your morning caffeine hit all about crime. I'm Mama Jules. And let's begin today with a story out of Baltimore that took the life of a young entrepreneur. 26-year-old Pava Lepere grew up in Tucson, Arizona. Her father, Frank Lepere said Pava was a stubborn and sly girl who would sneak out to ride her bicycle in the early morning hours before anyone else was awake in the home. She would then sneak back in before her parents realized she had been gone. Frank said that Tucson isn't a small city, but that Pava was just that way. He said she has always been brave, been a leader, and that is driven and creative. Pava left her family home after graduating from Catalina High School in 2015. She was accepted into the prestigious Johns Hopkins University with grand ambitions of becoming a medical student, but her dad joked that she couldn't stand the sight of blood, so she redirected her path. Falling in love with the city of Baltimore, she made the East Coast her new home. She also took stock of the difficulties around her. She decided to investigate ways that she could help narrow the global parity gap. Her end decision? That money and power were meant to be used for good. In a talk she gave as a senior at Johns Hopkins, she told the seminar attendees that she had become obsessed with helping others to fulfill their entrepreneur dreams. She told the audience that entrepreneurs change the world. They look around and they recognize what they are dissatisfied with and they make it different. And she didn't just talk the talk. By the time she had graduated from college, Pava had started three different companies that empowered young and aspiring leaders. Her third and most successful venture started in 2018. EchoMap Technologies, that's Pava's new business. Well, they work to enable different entities and institutions. Those entities would range from university systems to municipal governments to even Baltimore's own tech scene. Well, they work to connect those people with other networks and resources and social capital that they would need to progress. The Baltimore-based business raised two separate rounds of $3.5 million for various businesses, and it also employs nearly 30 people. Pava had recently moved the company into a new office in the Bromo Arts District, and Pava was also named the Forbes list of 30 under 30. That happened just this year. She had developed a reputation around Baltimore as a go-getter, and a business partner relayed a story about a time that Pava wanted to get to a corporate beach retreat in Delaware. She didn't own a car, and so she had to figure out how to make the trip. When option after option was shut down, she finally rented a small moving truck to make her plans come together. Her business partner said that that was what was unique about Pava, whether it was easy or not she would definitely make it happen. Well, all of that came to an end when Pava's half-naked body was found a week ago on the roof of her apartment building. She had been bludgeoned and strangled. A brick and several of her teeth lay near her body as well as her pants, her shoes, and a broken hair clip. Investigators believe she had most likely died on Friday evening, but her body wasn't found until Monday morning when people were reporting her missing. Now, investigators then began working backwards, grabbing surveillance footage to try and piece together when Pava had entered her apartment building. They learned that on Friday evening, Pava was walking toward her upscale apartment and she was also being followed by a man. She had no idea. When she entered her locked lobby area, she rested for a moment on the couch. It was then that a man began acting like he couldn't get his key to work at the door. He can be seen waving for Pava to open the door for him. Of course, Pava jumped from the couch and true to her personality, she kindly opened the door and began talking with the man as she led him into the apartment building. They walk through the lobby and towards the elevator where the footage ends with them chatting as the elevator doors close. The next time the man is seen on the video footage, 40 minutes later, he is quickly leaving the lobby. His sweatshirt is off and he is wiping his hands on the shirt and on his pants. Pava had no idea what kind of danger she was in. The man she had let enter the building was 32-year-old Jason Billingsley, a man with a violent criminal history and who police were already on the hunt for. Baltimore PD believed that Jason had attacked two people just two days prior before conning Pava into opening the door and eventually murdering her. Now, in that attack, the one that happened two days previous, 26-year-old Jonte Gilmore told the Baltimore Banner that he and his girlfriend had fallen asleep listening to music in the basement bedroom of their West Baltimore rooming house. His girlfriend awoke to someone knocking on their door. She didn't get up to answer it until the man yelled through the door that he was with maintenance and that they had a flood in their kitchen. Well, the woman ascended the stairs and opened the door for the man where he grabbed her by the hair, threw her onto the floor and hit her in the face with a gun. He then shouted, where that money at? Eventually, he wrapped her head and ankles in tape. Jante awoke to the man holding a gun to his head. He asked the same question, where the money at? He then told Jante that if he tried anything stupid, that he would, in his words, rape your bitch upstairs. Now, the man taped Jante's ankles and face, Just like he had taped Jante's girlfriend, he then spent the next few hours repeatedly raping Jante's girlfriend in front of him. At some point in the attack, Jante's girlfriend asked her attacker if she could pee. He forced her to use the bathroom on the floor near her boyfriend. Eventually, the attacker cut his girlfriend's throat and Jante was sure she was dead. But he then noticed she was only pretending. The attacker left, and then returned with a flammable liquid. He soaked a rag and wiped the liquid across Jante's face. The attacker also soaked areas of the bedroom and then started the whole thing on fire before he fled. Jonte said he could hear his girlfriend screaming that she was burning alive. He said he begged her to drop and roll around to extinguish the flames. And unfortunately, he was still unable to remove his own restraints as the fire grew. His girlfriend fled the bedroom and returned with help to pull Jhante to safety. Now, both of them, Jhante and his girlfriend, they've undergone skin grafting, but they have been released from the hospital. Okay, remember this attack was just two days prior to the killing of Pava, and law enforcement knew who the attacker was of Jhante and his girlfriend. The reporting is a little unclear, but Jhante or his girlfriend, or maybe both of them, were able to identify the attacker as Jason Billingsley. Now, remember, that's the same man on the video surveillance from Pava's apartment. And some local outlets are saying that Billingsley actually worked at the building that Jonte was staying in, and maybe that's how they knew who he was. All right, so we have Jason attached to both the attack and the murder, but residents of Baltimore are frustrated with the police. They say the police didn't alert the public at all about Jason Billingsley. Following the attack of Jonte and his girlfriend, Baltimore police didn't tell the public about Jason or his violent past that includes spending 14 years in prison. But following the death of Pava, law enforcement did solicit the help of the public in searching for Billingsley. The department announced that a warrant had been issued for Billingsley. He was wanted on first-degree murder, assault, reckless endangerment, and then some other charges. They also asked the public to be aware of Billingsley and alert authorities if he was spotted. Now, Baltimore Acting Police Commissioner Richard Worley defended his decision to not alert the public to the threat of Billingsley because he said officers felt they were close to capturing the man. He said they also believed that he would not commit a random act of violence. He told reporters that if he thought they had made a mistake, he would tell you they made a mistake. But in this situation, the department had not done anything wrong. Well, Baltimore Mayor Brandon Scott, however, did say in a news conference that there was no way in hell that Billingsley should have been on the streets. So according to court documents, the attack on Jante and his girlfriend happened on Wednesday. The murder of Pava happened on Friday night. Her body was discovered on Monday and Billingsley was captured on Wednesday. Billingsley was taken into custody 27 miles south of Baltimore at a train station in Bowie, Maryland. The Baltimore acting police chief said that Billingsley was cooperative when he was taken into custody. He also said police had been tracking him for several days. He said that once Billingsley realized the police knew who he was, okay, this happened not after the first attack, but after the murder of Pava, and they reported that that's who did it or who they thought did it. So they're saying that once the police knew who he was, that Billingsley turned off his cell phone and then he just poof, disappeared. Now, the commissioner did say that he had received information that actually led them to the train station where they arrested Billingsley. Okay, so who is Jason Billingsley? Well, his criminal record is long, but he has arrests for assault in 2009 and 2011. And then, in October of 2022, he was released from prison early. Nearly 16 years earlier, Billingsley had noticed a woman sitting outside of her apartment building he struck up a conversation with her and she said she was getting some air after having a fight with her boyfriend. Well, he offered her a place to spend the night and then he put his arms around her neck and strangled her. He then struck her in the face and said he would kill her if she didn't do what he said. He forced her to perform oral sex on him while holding a knife to her throat. Well, after raping her, he stole $53 from her wallet. He had initially received a 30-year sentence for that rape conviction, but it had been reduced to 16 years. He was then let out of prison two years earlier for good behavior. So for the murder of Pava and the attacks on Jante and his girlfriend, the Baltimore City Attorney, Ivan Bates, said at a news conference that the charges would be presented to a grand jury and that prosecutors would seek life without the possibility of parole if Billingsley was found guilty. CBS News is reporting that Billingsley will be held without bail. In the same reporting, they say assistant state attorney Robin Worley said Billingsley admitted to investigators that he beat Pava with a brick and with his hands. Now, remember, that doesn't mean he will plead guilty to the charges, we're still really early in the criminal court side of this case. But the judge on Friday ordered that Billingsley receive a suicide risk assessment. And in a social media post, Pava's father complimented the Baltimore Police Department on their quick action in the case. He also asked that people remember that Pava made an impact in every endeavor she undertook and on every life she touched. Now I'll make sure I keep you updated on this case. And when I know, I'll let you know. Now let's head to Akron, Ohio, where a woman has been sentenced to 63 years in state prison for the death of her husband. But man, is this one messed up story. 34-year-old Thessalonica Allen and her husband, Randy Allen, they have two kids and what appears to be a pretty difficult marriage. Randy is the father of the younger child and stepfather to the older child. And depending upon the reporting outlets, some say Randy could have been abusive to the kids and to Thessalonica. Some say there's no abuse at all. Now, according to arresting reports, On July 27th of 2021, Thessalonica returned home to her two teenage kids, saying that they had gotten in trouble with their father and it had turned violent. Now in these arresting documents, that's according to Thessalonica. And I want you to keep that, you know, I want you to understand it's a he said, she said moment here. Okay, according to oxygen.com, Randy was mad because while he was helping the children with their homework, he found a website on the computer that Thessalonica had been visiting. So Randy's mad about that. The kids are now involved and Thessalonica is entering the situation. Her and Randy leave the kids in the front room and they go to the bedroom to argue. A few moments later, the kids hear gunshots and then a loud thud. Then the two ran to the bedroom to find their father, Randy, on the floor He is still alive, but has obviously been shot and is bleeding. He begged the kids to call 911, but Thessalonica told them they couldn't, and then she sent them back to their rooms. Now, an autopsy later showed that Randy bled to death from a bullet that penetrated his spinal column. Now, I don't know what was happening in the previous years in the home, and I'm not here to say who's the good guy and who's the bad guy, but... The kids, knowing their father has been shot and is possibly dying on the floor of their mother's bedroom, they return to their rooms and then they fall asleep. This leads me to believe a couple of things. Either there has been violence in the home or Thessalonica has been manipulating the children for years and that this is just standard protocol. They do whatever she says. And like I said, I don't know. I wasn't there. But it's incredibly shocking to me that the kids went to sleep while their dad is dying. Okay, anyway, later that night, in the middle of the night, Thessalonica wakes her kids up. She tells them they need to get rid of their father and stepfather's body. So the plan is the three will drag Randy outside the house and to the car. They attempt Thessalonica's plan, but Randy is too heavy. And so she enacts a new plan. The next day, Thessalonica heads out to do some shopping. She buys cleaning supplies and an axe. She returns home and chops off her dead husband's legs in hopes that this will lessen the weight of the corpse so that she and the kids can move Randy to dispose of him. Thessalonica has the kids help her place the body parts in tote bags, but they are still unable to move him to the car and complete Thessalonica's plan of transporting the body to South Bend, where she eventually wants to burn the corpse. When all of this brutal mayhem is not panning out the way Thessalonica had hoped, she changed course. She called Rory. Now, Rory is a former boyfriend and the father of one of the two children. She told Rory what might be a, a half-truth. She begged him to go to the apartment and stop Randy from beating their shared child. Well, he obviously acts. It's his kid that he thinks is getting beat up. And when he arrives at the apartment, he finds Randy's dead body and a frantic Thessalonica. She confesses to killing Randy, saying it was because he was beating their child. She then asks Rory to help move the body, and Rory's like, no way. He tells Thessalonica she needs to drive him back to his place and that he wants nothing to do with this. Now, according to court documents, Rory claims that while they are driving back to his place, Thessalonica attempts to throw a gun out the window. She missed the open window and the gun fell in Rory's lap. She grabs it, and she keeps it, all of this according to Rory. Now, she drops him off, and the former boyfriend, Rory, he calls the cops. Authorities track Thessalonica to an Ace Hardware parking lot, and it seems they went there because it's the middle of the night, and she might be working there or near there, but she's sitting in her car with the car door half open. Okay, arresting documents say that when officers made contact with her, she started crying and she begged officers to understand. She told them, you guys don't get it, he beats me. Now documents then say she confessed to killing Randy, saying she shot him after he had choked her. She also admitted to cutting off Randy's legs because she couldn't carry him and she was hoping that she could make him fit into the totes. She admitted to using the ax to dismember his body. Now when investigators arrived at the home, they found the dismembered body of Randy in one of the children's bedroom closets. Now, in July, Thessalonica faced a jury in the charges of murder, abuse of a corpse, and altering the scene of a death. At trial, Thessalonica's attorneys tried to mount a self-defense strategy, saying Randy had lunged at Thessalonica on that July night while they were fighting. But prosecutors said Thessalonica had lied about the night and also on previous incidents where she tried to get a restraining order against Randy. Prosecutors also entered into evidence a note that Thessalonica had written that planned how she was actually going to kill Randy. The handwritten note reads like a to do list Step one, spray, and then there's an expletive, in his face. Hit him in the right knee with a hammer. Step two, hit him with the hammer and stab him. Step three, roll his body up in sheets and plastic bags. Okay, more steps are included in the notes that list how Thessalonica plans on getting rid of the body. Now, the two children also went on to deny the abuse. This is at least according to the Northwest Indiana Times. They called Randy a sweet person and admitted that he had intended to leave the marriage. Well, following the trial, it took the jury just a half hour, hour to find Thessalonica guilty of the charges. When Judge Thomas Alavisos handed down the 63-year sentence, this happened last week, he said the evidence had shown that Thessalonica deserved a particularly harsh sentence for her crimes. He said the factors of premeditation, both prior and post-event, showed a lack of remorse by Thessalonica. The judge also pointed out the tremendous psychological effects that the murder had on the two children. He also said that the way Thessalonica had placed blame on the children for the argument that night, that that had caused severe damage to the two kids. Now, Randy's family told WSBT-22 that they're devastated. They called the murder senseless and unnecessary. They also have tremendous sorrow for how painful Randy's death must have been. They also worry about the two children and how they will cope through the rest of their lives with the trauma that their mother caused. Randy's mother, Teresa, said that they just don't have this kind of stuff in their family. She said they love each other and that they are close. When she referenced Thessalonica, she said, this girl, and then she just sighs. She couldn't finish the sentence. Randy left behind five children and seven grandchildren. His family, at a vigil following his death, encouraged men to speak out when they are the ones being abused by their romantic partner. Randy's sister said that men should speak up about abuse, that when they do, it doesn't make them any less of a man. She also said her brother just wanted to be loved. And just a quick update to finish today. There's been an arrest in a 27-year-old cold case. In September of 1996, Tupac Shakur was traveling on the Las Vegas Strip, headed to a nightclub. He was in a black BMW being driven by Death Row Records founder Marion Sugnight. Knight. But it wasn't just Tupac. There was a convoy of about 10 cars headed to the nightclub. See, everyone had just finished watching Mike Tyson knock out Bruce Seldon in a boxing match at the MGM Grand. After watching the Tyson-Seldon fight, Tupac and his entourage had gotten into like a fight or a scuffle, some sort of altercation at the hotel. Once the dust settled, the entourage moved on down the strip in their cars. While stopped at a light, a white Cadillac with four men inside pulled alongside the BMW. One person opened fire, riddling the side of the BMW with bullets. Tupac was in the passenger seat and was shot four times, twice in the chest. Suge Knight, the driver, was grazed by a bullet fragment. And Tupac was rushed to the hospital, where he died six days later. And it's been 27 years. And the case was cold until this July, when authorities served a search warrant at a home in Henderson, Nevada, that has connections to Dwayne Keith D. Davis. So in the search, police seized multiple computers, a cell phone, some some documents, a Vibe magazine that featured Tupac, several 40 caliber bullets, two tubs containing photographs, and a copy of a book that Davis had penned back in 2019. Okay, that book is a memoir called Compton Street Legend. See, Davis is the uncle of Orlando Anderson, Orlando Anderson was a rival of Tupac and was also the man long suspected of pulling the trigger on that 1996 night in Vegas. Kay Anderson, of course, denied any involvement, and he died in a completely unrelated gang incident in Compton two years after Tupac's death. Well, following the search in July, authorities arrested Davis on Friday and indicted him for the murder of Tupac. Now, at this time, we don't know much about the why of the arrest. Authorities obviously believe they have uncovered enough evidence to make the murder charge stick. So I'll just keep watching and let you know as more information comes out. On another note, Tupac has a colorful history that included a turf war with rival rap artist Notorious B.I.G. Now, the rapper was killed just six months after Tupac when he was shot in a gang slash rap related incident. And when Tupac was shot on the strip, it wasn't his first time being shot either. He was wounded in 1994 when someone robbed him and others in a midtown Manhattan hotel. Now, during that shooting, Tupac accused Biggie and Sean Diddy Combs of having knowledge of the robbery. So if you don't know the 90s rap scene, everyone was picking sides and it got violent. Here, look, I'm acting like I know the 90s rap scene. I just do really good research. I don't know anything about it, really. But there's a brief overview of what was going on. So if you want more information on Tupac's story, in April, FX released a five-part docuseries called Dear Mama. It details the checkered past of Tupac's mom as well as Tupac's journey of becoming one of the greatest rap artists of all time. I'll watch this case, see if more comes out, and I'll keep you guys updated, and I'll keep pretending like I know about rap. Well that's your Monday episode of Rise and Crime. You guys are so great. I love this little community that we are building at Ono oh Media. And remember you can follow Rise and Crime, binged and murder with my husband on Instagram and TikTok and please subscribe to the YouTube channels. Join me again on Thursday for more morning crime news. I'm Mama Jules and keep safe out there.